Well, welcome this morning to Cornerstone. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to worship the Lord with you guys this morning. Um, if you're new to Cornerstone, uh, welcome. There's a uh, little insert in your bulletin. And um, if after the service you want us to um, have your information and maybe contact you at a later time and let you know how you can become more involved, just fill that out. And uh, for you old timers uh, who've been here the last couple of months, you know we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And so today uh, we've had some incredible teaching. And um, today we're going to finish up uh, chapter three and we're going to look specifically at Paul's prayer. And um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning there. Chapter three. And uh, the teachings we've had on Ephesians, it's just been incredible. I, I kind of know now how the donkey felt when his owner told him that he had just entered him into the Kentucky Derby. He's looking around, he's going, I don't belong with this group. And so that's kind of how I feel this morning, trying to follow up what we've been learning. Before we uh, read God's word, um, let me do this. If you're a veteran or if you are currently serving in our armed forces, would, would you do us the privilege of standing so that we can honor you this morning? Would you do that? Anybody? Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for the way that you um, responded to the call of duty. Thank you for evaluating what it was going to cost you. And most of you, you knew it it, it could possibly cost you your life. And yet you sacrificed your life here. You, You sacrificed the comforts that a lot of times we have here. And you gave your time and, and you gave your life to defend this country. And so this morning, thank you for doing that. Um, let me begin reading um, in chapter 3. And I'm going to begin in verse 13. And as I read through, Paul's going to kind of get a little wordy in these verses. He's going to, he's going to throw some words in there. And this is, my, this is my prayer, and this is the focus of our time. Okay, So I really need you to get this. Um, at the, when I'm through speaking today, if you get nothing else, if you don't, you know, if you can't interpret Southern slang, um, and you don't get anything else out of this, I'm going to read this so you can kind of hear it and I'll read it slow. Paul's prayer is this, that the church would strive to know the incredible love of God so that we the church can be filled with all the fullness of God or until we reach spiritual maturity and perfection. Now let's read it. Beginning in verse 13, he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Catch this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. So here's Paul. This is an incredible prayer for the church. And it's a prayer that we as redeemed ones, as those who are called out, coming together as the body of Christ, as a church, that we would strive together to even get a glimpse or just to get a taste 
of this incredible love that God has for us. And so that's what we're going to walk through today. That's what the scriptures are going to lead us through. And before they do, let me pray. Father, thank you that we have this privilege today. I'm honored to be able to talk about your love. I have received it in so many incredible ways, undeservingly in every one of them. But that didn't stop you. That didn't stop you from pouring out your love to me, for revealing your love to me. And I thank you for that. I pray that this morning you would open up the eyes of of our hearts that this will not be just a cliche, a Sunday school song, a wanna verse. But this morning, as we talk about your love for us, it would bring new, it would bring an awakening to our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've come to this place in Ephesians. And Paul, he's, he's laid some heavy truths on us. Uh, in these previous two and a half chapters, what Paul's done, he, he's taken this profound reality, and the profound reality is this, that God loves me. And as he thought about that, he said, you know what? God loves me. He also loves you, Ephesians. And you know what? He also loves you, Jews, and you, Gentiles. And in fact, Paul didn't stop there. What did he say? He loves, as we learned last week, all races, all people. You see, Paul has communicated this love in various ways. So that we as his readers, 2,000 years removed from this letter, we as those who would open up this book could somehow identify with this love. Let me show you what I mean. In chapter 1, turn your Bibles back one page. Paul begins writing about God's love, and he first addresses those intellectuals. Those, those people I copied off of in school to pass. Begins in verse 3, and he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and, and will. See, these intellectuals, these were people and these are people who love to study. I mean, they podcast Piper and Keller and they, they want to know the next new answer to the Christian uh, movement. They want to know the next new truth that the Bible has. They get giddy about these deep theological discussions. I mean, it's almost like they break out in a cold sweat. And, and so Paul says, okay, I'm going to address you guys. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take God's love and I'm going to wrap it around divine election and predestination. There you go. Figure it out. See you later. See, Paul wanted to address those who were intellectual, those who were smart. He also wanted to make sure uh, that those who were just living life, like me, and he refers to us in chapter 2 as just kind of like life action figures. He wanted us to know the love of God. Look at verses 1 through 5, chapter 2. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by your grace, it is by grace you have been saved. This is me. I'm one of those life action figures, right? I'm not into the books necessarily, but I was into my life. I was living my life. I was cruising. I was depending upon myself. I was having uh, what I thought was fun and experiencing the sins in life. 
And then all of a sudden, God invades my life. He creates this incredible havoc in my life because he displays to me this love that he has for me that I'd never experienced in anything that the world had to offer. He busted my chops. He got in my face with this love in such an incredible way. And I was just living life. And you know why he did it? Because he wanted to. Simple, plain, because he could and he chose to. And I've been different ever since. And some of you, you've been different ever since. And that's what Paul's saying. He's going to speak to another group. He's going to speak to the worker bees. Look down in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2. Some of you will fall into this category. Verses 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. These people, these worker bees, they think that anything good in life comes from working at it. They're so proud of their accomplishments. However, it doesn't add up in God's economy, does it? You see, his love is beyond our self-worth. It's beyond our best performance we can give him. And he wanted to make sure those of us who identify with God's love by being busy, by doing things for him to earn that love, that he would address it and he would address us. Then he goes into chapter three and he talks about those who are of the minority or the least of these, as Todd talked about last week. Verses six through eight. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, I know most of you, I don't know all of you, but I know most of you in here, and I know most of your names, and so by knowing your names, I realize most of you are not Jewish, you're Gentiles. And so we get to share together as Gentiles, as those that were outside of God's people, of God's chosen race, and then he grafts us in. He says, here's the mystery, and that is that my love is demonstrated to you to you Gentiles, to you Jew, to you Ephesians. Yes. In fact, it's demonstrated to every race. So here's Paul. He no doubt believes. He's sitting in this prison cell and he's just written these two and a half chapters. And you got to believe that he thinks, man, if, if they'll just read it, if they'll just read this, They'll understand it. And in fact, if they'll read it, their lives will be changed and everything will be hunky-dory. Lord, I've submitted to your spirit. I've listened to what you've spoken to me. I've submitted my heart to this. I know, God, you want your people to understand how much you love them. And I'm trying, I'm trying with every ounce within me of your spirit to be obedient so that I can write it down in a way that they will understand it. But then he does something unique. Something comes across Paul's mind or maybe he's convicted in his spirit and he says, you know what? This is not enough. It's not enough just to write all this. No, I need to pray. I know what I need to do. I need to drop my pen right now and I need to begin praying for the church. I need to begin praying that this called out group of believers because what they'll do is they'll look at me, they'll look at my circumstances because I'm in this prison cell and they'll take their eyes off of what God's done and they'll put them on me and they, they might even suppose that What I've done is something wrong, and that's why I'm in prison. Maybe they'll lose heart. 
Maybe they'll give up. Oh, Lord, let me just drop. Let me just fall on my knees and say, Lord, would you help them? Would you please help them understand your love for them? Help them to come together. Help them to share in that love. Help them to share with one another what that love's done in their life. As I was reading through this, I was trying to pray, you know, what, what else could be running through Paul's mind? There he is in that dungeon. He's writing. Now he's praying. In verse 3, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he, in verse 13 of chapter three, uh, 3, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Verse 14, for this reason. So I think the obvious reason, first of all, is that he was in prison. And he didn't want those who were following Christ, those new believers, to lose heart. You know, he probably thought about all of these people who had made decisions to follow Christ. And he thought about, man, we were out in the streets and we were living this life together and we were preaching in the, in the synagogues and we were preaching out on the street and we were loving one another and we were staying up late at night and we were falling out of windows and we were doing all kinds of stuff. We were watching people get healed. Oh, people, please, please don't lose heart. Please don't... Please don't think that the gospel depends on me alone. But it depends on all of us understanding the love of God for us. Maybe Paul was in that cell and he was reflecting back over some past experiences and and circumstances where some people who talked and acted like believers walked away. Maybe this was the reason why he was praying. Oh, he was... He was knowing that some may abandon the movement. Or maybe his mind took him back to those others who for just a moment, just a split second, lost their sight of God's incredible love for them. And they became weak in their faith. Like John Mark out on the mission field where for just a moment he looks at man instead of God and he abandons, he abandons the party there, the missionary team. Or maybe Paul has heard about the famous denial from Peter and he's thinking in his mind, just for a split second, Peter took his eyes off the Lord and he put them on people and he forgot about how much God loved him. And because of that, he denied him. And he, he whipped bitterly and left. See, maybe Paul could have also been thinking about those individuals, those Pharisees, who, man, they, they could tell you all about God's love. In fact, they could write them down. They were making laws as fast as you could write them down and and get the ink on the paper. And they were raising these standards for us to fall under this love that God had for us. And they knew it right here. They could could tell you it, it, it has three meanings. They could tell you the tenses. They could tell you everything. But they made a huge mistake. It never made it from here to here. It was an 18 inch disaster. Because what they knew in their mind, they didn't demonstrate in their heart. So maybe Paul was thinking about them. Maybe he, he had the church in mind. He no doubt had seen firsthand how quickly a group of believers can become so divided. And frankly, we can become pretty mean-spirited about it as well. When we stop striving together to know the love of God. You see, he saw how quickly the church could lose its testimony. Remember up to this point, 
Paul had been on a couple of missionary journeys. He had planted churches. He had been in and out of Asia checking out the churches that had been planted. And, and he had been to the church in Corinth. Now, if you want to know about divisions, there's a book out there that the Corinths wrote, 10 Ways How to Cause Division in the Church. I mean, if you want to know how to start division, go to 1 Corinthians. It will tell you. So Paul, Paul may have had in mind this group of believers there in, in Corinth who, who just get, couldn't get beyond themselves. They, they just couldn't get beyond releasing their, their sin unto the Lord. Couldn't get beyond um, just their selfishness. Couldn't get beyond the rituals. They had to do all kinds of things for communion and, and don't eat this and eat that and don't drink this and drink that and... And it just began to fester this attitude of negativism. They lost the love among one another. Maybe Paul had that on their mind. Maybe Paul had us this morning in Simi Valley on his mind. Maybe he thought that called out, that called out group of believers that, that comes in and out of the doors at 2080 Winifred. Are they... Are they demonstrating my love toward them to one another? Are there divisions among them? Because we've taken our eyes off of the love that God has for us and we've put our eyes on man. You see, Paul drops to his knees and he cries out to the Father. He's on bended knee picture of humility and submission. In verse 14 and 15, he says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. O Lord, hear my prayer. Not only for the people that will read this, but God, Hear my prayer for my own heart. When he throws in here this phrase, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name, what he's speaking about is just Christ's followers, those who are both here on earth with him and that will be, and then those who are the church triumphant, who are those who are waiting to enter into eternity in, in heaven. And are caught up right now with the Lord. That's who he's referring to when he comes before the Father. And he says, the Father over both the church here and there. And so he's getting serious at this point. He's desperate in his prayer that we would understand this love of God. And so let me stop. Let me stop us for a minute. And I know if you've been coming to church any length of time or you, you grew up in a, in a Christian environment, you've heard this probably five chameleon times. God's love, God's love, God's love. And if we're not careful, it just becomes something of words off our lips. It doesn't really enter into our heart. It doesn't really change our life. And so if Paul is so concerned about us rightly understanding this love of God and this being the key for our spiritual maturity, then we ought to try and get a grasp of what it is, huh? Amen? <laughs> Here's a couple of things that I hope will help us understand a little bit about God's love for us. You see, it's, it's difficult for us because of our human relationships. We have been conditioned to measure love by, by what we do, right? Or how well we do it. Our loves, all of our loves that we have are characterized for the most part by ifs and maybes and because ofs. I'll love you if you do this, or I'll love you because you did that. It's just so hard to imagine a love without condition, isn't it? 
We've been so taught that love is earned. Our, our, our love is something that we have to run after and, and somehow create. God's love is being expressed to us before we ever thought about loving him. You see, he loved us when we were unlovable. You see, God's love is the only reason we exist. Think about this. God's love is the only reason we exist. It is the why of creation. And the power of God is the how of creation. It is the we are the why of creation. Why? (laughs) Because love demands an object. You see, because love demands an object, therefore we are created as the objects of God's love. Isn't that amazing? That he would create us, that he wouldn't share his love or he wouldn't give his love to the stars or the moon or the oceans. But no, he would create us in his image, so that he could pour out this love to us, that we could be the objects of this love that he has. And so I want you to understand this love as as best you can before we move forward in the prayer. Because what Paul's going to do is he's going to shift gears a little bit. And in verse 16... What he's going to do is he's going to begin to shift not only to understanding God's love, but how this understanding of God's love comes about in our life. So read with me in verse 16, and I'll read through 19. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, the first thing Paul tells us is how we can understand this love of God. He prays it through or by his spirit, that his Holy Spirit will strengthen us with power. See, this is not something that we can create on our own. This is not something that we can meet in closed doors and come out with a plan how we're going to develop this love of God in our hearts more. And that we're going to figure out more and more creative ways to experience this love from God. No, God had a plan. And that plan was that his Holy Spirit would dwell within our hearts. And as his Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts, his spirit will do the work of revealing his love to us. Back over in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, this is possible through his glorious riches. Those characteristics that Paul wrote about in the previous chapters, the infinite power, the tender mercies, the amazing grace, the incredible wisdom that Paul spoke of that Christ gave us. In other words, as we experience and learn about God's riches, the Holy Spirit begins to take these glorious riches and he begins to take something like mercy and he begins to, he begins to shape our thoughts about that. He begins to shape the way we look at God. When the Spirit of God comes in and abides within us, he begins to shape our affections and, and At one time, our affections were completely of the world's. And as the Spirit takes these glorious riches, the the love, the grace, all that he talked about, he begins to transform our hearts. He begins to take our affections. He begins to direct them toward him, not toward the things of the world. 
He takes our desires. He begins to cultivate in our desires a longing to, to talk with him more, a longing to be around others who share in the experiences that we do. He gives us these desires to want to know him more and want to please him. We don't do that on our own. His spirit does that within us. And that's what Paul's saying. There's, the spirit of God has the power to do that within us. We become gospel-centered. We become eternally minded. And this is the idea he carries over in the verse 17. When he uses the phrase there, through faith. And that kind of threw me off for a minute. And I, I worked through it and read 14 commentaries. And they gave me 14 different ideas. So, but basically what that means is when Christ comes in, he takes residence within us. Our faith becomes alive. Has the Spirit of God come in the home of your heart? Have you allowed the Spirit of God to go through your house and into your rooms and into your closets and begin to reveal and examine those things in there? That's the picture there, that that the Spirit of God would take residence in us, that would live with us and, and change us. Now, before we fly through that, let's make this a little more personal. For those of you who are following Christ, for those of you who've trusted him, I want you to think back on the first time that you heard the message that God loved you. And I want you to think about, in your mind, that moment, okay? Take a, take a minute and do that. Okay, you got it in your mind? All right. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about <clears throat> where you're at today. I want you to think about where you were then. I want you to begin to write in your mind or even on a piece of paper the significant changes that God did in your life from that first time you very, that you bended your knee and bended your heart to him until today. Take a moment and do that. You got it? See, that's the power of the Spirit of God at work in us who's doing that. He carried it on out, that very thought in verses 18 and 19, where he says that we may have power to grasp. The ESV says strength to comprehend. In other words, we would begin to be able to wrap our hands around the truth that we will never fully really understand. It is something we can know in our minds right now we can experience in our hearts this love of God because our faith is rooted and grounded in that love. You see, it's that love that will keep us focused on the gospel. And Paul knows it full well. Oh, he's begging the Lord. Let them understand this love. Let them understand the breadth and the width of it, right? The width of it as it encompasses all of mankind. As it is also wide enough to cover a multitude of sins. There in verse 18. What about the length of it? Help them understand that the length of it is enough to last through all eternity. It was eternal in that it chose us before the foundations of the world. It is, its endless length is seen through his very patience with me and with us. This endless love is seen with his faithfulness toward us, toward Israel, all through the history of man. When we turn our back on him, his love remains faithful. Help them understand the height of it. 
Oh, it's infinite. It goes in the heavenly places. Lord, help them remember the depth of it. See, it was deep enough, and it is deep enough, to reach the lowest of all sinners. This deep love stoops to consider us worthy to save, not only save us, but to commune with us. Think of this. Man offers sinfulness, weakness, and despair. God offers holiness, greatness, and hope. Amen? Amen. Are you still, are you starting to get a feel why Paul is praying this prayer? Are we beginning to sense as an individual and as a, as a part of this body of Christ, why it's so key that Paul would pray this prayer? Oh, that we would be grounded and rooted in the love of God. Paul adds a second way. that as we strive toward this love, that we'll be able to comprehend it. And he says it there in verse, beginning in verse 18, he says, may have power together with all the saints. What Paul is saying about this love is that the more we learn about it and the more we experience this love, we need to share it together. Have you ever been at a testimony meeting where when people are gathered around, they, they begin sharing about how God's love has changed their life or how God's love has come in a situation. They redirected that situation or they redirected, he redirected their heart. And man, we just get pumped up. We hear these people and we're, we're celebrating with them. We're, we're rejoicing with them. I mean, you know, we leave that place. You know, we're ready to take on hell with a squirt gun. Come on, man, you know. I mean, we're ready to just... Take on every demon from hell. Because why? Because there's something about hearing brothers and sisters share about how God has demonstrated his love toward us in our life experience as believers. So Paul says, together with all the saints, be sure you do this on a regular basis. Besides, (laughs) this is going to be a foretaste of what's to come in eternity. Get a picture of this, folks. A stadium five million times bigger than Texas Stadium and bigger, you know, Trinitrons up there. And one after one, the testimonies of the saints are going to come and they're going to give glory to God and they're going to say, we're going to hear him. We're going to hear him say, I was at work one day and this guy named Tom, he, he just, he kept telling me about his love of God, love of God, love of God. Finally, I just, I said, all right, Tom, leave me alone. I'll find out what this love of God's about. And when I found out about your love, here I am. Or maybe it's a testimony of one that says, I was on my deathbed and I thought I was gone. And your mercy came and you saved me. On and on through eternity, God's love is going to be continually revealed, not only through the testimony of his people, but also through the experience that his people share. Over and over, think in your own life. I gave you that exercise earlier. Why? Just think in your own life how many experiences God's love has has caused you to mature in your faith, Come to know him better. You see, this would be a foretaste of what's to come. Amazing grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, right, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years will pass and we'll act like it's just begun. I'm telling you, this will be a glorious Eternity, bragging, bragging on God's love for us. Another writer put it this way, could we with ink the oceans fill? For me, I have to interpret it different, 
okay? Because I'm, I'm a little slow, so I have to write it out. What does that really mean? Fill the oceans with ink. And were the skies of parchment made? In other words, in my words, the sky is our canvas. The oceans are our ink. The skies are canvas. Were every stalk on earth a quill? Or every stalk used as a pen? And every man a scribe by trade? Every man, woman, boy, and girl writing as fast and as furious as they could write. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And you know what's really, really cool about that? Is we can begin bragging about that here on earth. Among one another, among those at work, among your family members. And so I got a treat for us. The treat is last weekend we interviewed a, just a ton of people and they shared about their experience of God coming. And a ton of people shared. And so we didn't get a chance to narrow it down to get everybody on it, but we, we had the privilege of listening to the stories. So I'm going to ask you to turn your attention to the screens and just listen to our people as they share their experience of God's love in their life. One of the ways I've experienced God's love in my life is a few months ago I started praying about knowing Him better and specifically having a heart more like His. Into 2008 when I lost my job and as most people would say, you know, what a horrible situation to financially go through it. From losing my job, I, I lost my house in foreclosure. When I look back, and that was about a year and a half ago, when I look back now on that time, it's the greatest blessing of my life. About two and a half years ago, my husband lost his job. And on the front, I guess that wouldn't seem like a good thing, but it was, it's been an amazing thing for our family. Um, because he lost his job, we really had to depend on God and look to Him to be our source. And He's provided so many things. The, the blessing is that he, he answered that prayer, and I, and I took this perspective, or I had this different heart and different vision for the way I, I viewed certain situations. So when I would go to, to work, I wouldn't see just fellow employees, but I would see people who actually needed Christ. My birthday's coming up, and when I sit back and I think about my birthday, you kind of get depressed because you're getting older, but I don't. I feel very content because I have a family that is searching for God instead of searching for what the world provides. I'm one of those type of women who for many, many years have needed annual mammograms. And one year, um, I was told after they uh, did the mammogram that um, they just needed me to um, not get dressed, but to go into this other office. Next thing I knew, uh, it wasn't the technician who came into the room, but it was the radiologist. and. She told me that something appeared on the mammogram and that I would require a biopsy. I was born clearly across uh, the globe and you know, just the fact that God uh, knew me before I was going to be born and uh, He had a purpose for my life. Somehow you know, missionaries got a hold of my parents and I was uh, you know, faithfully um, gr grew up in a Christian home and I, I, was, uh, I was blessed because of that. Um, and I enjoy today, I have a Christian wife and a Christian daughter. Um, he chose us before the creation of the planet. And isn't that an awesome God that He loves you so much that He created you for His purpose and for His glory? As soon as I heard that word, I was filled with so much incredible peace. It was like it just rained down from above and just filled me. And <clears throat> what really surprised me was that 
God in His love gave me that peace without me even having to ask for it. God intervened on our on our marriage when we uh, we weren't loving one another. We were doing um, every possible bad thing we could do to one another, and 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 that's how I became a believer. Was through that process. We were completely wrecked, and uh, we were both stepping away from one another. And God intervened, and he uh, he saved us, and he saved our marriage, and it just. I remember it was two years ago, and there was so much anger and resentment towards one another. And scripture brought us to a moment of honesty with one another where we were really honest about um, the past in, in, in our seven-year relationship, and we found out things that kind of set us back and, and, and you know, reopened all these wounds and opened new wounds. It was by the grace of God, because there's no way that I would have been able to to forgive and my husband, I don't think my husband would have been able to forgive me for the, the trespasses and the things that we did to one another. Um, and just, you know, he showed us what true love was. That was the beginning. We were baptized two years ago in August. So. Uh, recently, my, my wife died and without, God just, Blessed me, being with me every day, showing me who He is. Um, just the communities come together and just really show me love. The community that, like in Acts, I mean, they just, they just, they just, they're awesome. They're there for me. I, they, I, I could go over to people's house and eat if I want to every night. I, I get a ride when I want to. They're just, they just, God just blessed me with just, just people who live for God and just uh, the communities coming together and just. Just, I really, when Jesus basically said, if you love me, the world will know me, they really do love, love each other. We love each other. So that's how God's blessed me recently, big time. My husband, Walt, was killed in the Metrolink accident two years ago, and we saw his hand immediately from the moment we found out, continuing now through this day. Um, that first week after Walt died, things happened that didn't make sense that made it so clear that God's hand was in our life and the peace that we felt knowing that Walt was with the Lord gave us the peace to be able to move on and also we were able to find joy in things that came after that. We found after Walt's memorial service people were baptized, lives were changed as a result of his death and he's brought so many people into my life in these last two years that have made continuing on in this really unknown territory, um, a journey, but, but one full of love and joy and peace that, that only could come from Him. A couple of weeks ago at work, I was walking through the yard and I was struggling in my mind with something that was coming up. And I felt that, that small, quiet voice within me say, when haven't I been trustworthy? When haven't I come to your aid ever and reached out my hand and said, here I am, you can trust me. Mm. Is that not glorious? <laughs> Let me wrap it up with this. Verses 20 and 21. Right before Paul finishes, he brings his, his mind and his heart back to this incredible truth. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Dan Lovejoy helped me understand this verse um, as I thought about it in, simple, in a simple way. God is able to do all we ask him to do. He is even able to do all that we imagine, that we dare not even ask, but just imagine. He's able. 
He can do more than this. He can do far more or abundantly more. He can do far more abundantly or exceeding abundantly. Have you prayed like that lately? Have you approached God, the Father, the church on heaven and earth? And with boldness, have you approached them and said, Oh, Lord, help my own heart to strive to know the love that you have for me. This morning, if you've never experienced the love of God, that's, that's our greatest desire here this morning, is that you would, in your intersection with that love, that you would begin a personal relationship with the God who created you. If you want more information about that, come down to the front in the prayer room. We'll be more than happy to share how you can begin that relationship, help you to grow in that faith. And then Cornerstone, can I ask you to pray this week, maybe even next week? Can we pray for one another? Can we pray this prayer that Paul prayed? That God's love, if we strive to get to know it, that we would share it with one another, that we would act like we've been transformed by this love of God. And through that, that not only those in our congregation, not only those in our families that will see us over the Thanksgiving holiday or Christmas holidays, our neighbors, our school buddies and workmates, that we will be just a sweet, smelling Savior to the Lord as we demonstrate our worship to him for the love that he's given us and he's shown to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have transformed my life through your love. And thank you from the bottom of the hearts of those in this room that you have done a radical work in their life through your love and your grace. I pray we would rejoice in that and as we prepare to leave today that we would remember that you are the God who is able to do far more abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think throughout all generations. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.